0: You're listening to the Utah Man Podcast, bringing you the latest news and analysis for your Utah Utes. Now, your hosts, Cameron, Ryan, and Scott.
1: Welcome on into the Utah Man Podcast. On this episode, we're talking Pac-12 only football, and we're joined by Brett Ciencia from Pick 6 Previews to kind of talk about the Utes, the Pac-12, and kind of the landscape of college football. I'm Cameron, and we got Ryan. Hey, Ute Nation. And Scott. How we doing?
2: It's good to be here. The crowd goes wild. Woo! We're we're actually just practicing doing this in, fr- um, in front of nobody just to get ready for the season.
0: Because if we're like the only three allowed in to watch games, we got to be loud. <laughs>
2: this this is not recorded in front of a live audience
1: <laughs> we'll get we'll get into what the season may or may not look like uh but first you know there's the news with the Pac12 going to a conference only schedule you know i talked about it on on the last podcast kind of the mini episode i uh, kind of talking about that with a few thoughts but i know Ryan and Scott you guys haven't have, had an opportunity to kind of say what what you think's going on so i'll i'll kick it over to you guys Ryan how do you feel about the Pac 12 going only Pac 12 games?
2: Wait a second.
0: You did a podcast without us? Are you shocked? <laughs> 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 this is how it all starts. It's all innocent in the beginning. This is a way to leave us in the dust. So Pac-12 only schedule. I don't know. I'm kind of mixed about it. Uh part of me thinks it's great because it it gets rid of, you know, at least a couple of horrible out-of-conference games that our previous athletic director left us with. Um, you don't have to, you know, deal with Wyoming and Montana State. And and our friends down south have to be left out in the dust, which doesn't hurt me that bad. But uh, I don't know. I think uh, in some respects for dealing with the the, the virus and testing and, and the flexibility of scheduling, I, I think it makes I think it makes sense. And um, but then you think about having to play Oregon right out of the gates as a possibility. That's that, that's a that's a tough ask for a really you, young team.
2: What do you What do you guys think about that? Obviously, at this point, it's still just rumored. Nothing has been confirmed from the Pac-12 or from either school. But if if that does in fact end up happening, what do you think about getting a shot? a rematch at Oregon right out of the gate.
1: I'm excited about it. I mean, not only just because it's another game that Utah gets to play, because that's one thing I was kind of bummed out about is Utah dropping the three games. Is That's three less games we get to see Utah play. So having another game as a fan is exciting. And but then having it be Oregon, I, I, I think it's great for, for Utah. I think it's great for the conference because they got to have some marquee games to kind of kick off the season Because those games that they dropped, like the Oregon and Ohio State and Alabama and USC, I'm not saying that Utah and Oregon are are at those same level, but they got to do something to to help get some excitement into the program to kick off the season
0: it'll be marketed as a as a you know a rematch of the title game from last year to just hopefully to, this one to, goes better <laughs> you know to garner that that uh, attention uh and probably get some people to watch it but i mean it, it, you're right cam it is exciting and um i think from a fan standpoint it, it's great from a player standpoint i think there's kind of a revenge factor for those that are still on the team but when you think about what you know the players that we've lost and all the young kind of less experienced players that are gonna be on this year's team, you know that's uh that's there's a lot of question marks going to that game.
2: Well but see I, I love it. I absolutely love it for the very reason obviously you know Utah Twitter is all over the place. Some don't some don't like the idea of it uh um and others do. I absolutely love it for the fact that yes we're, we're going to have question marks. There's no doubt about it, but so is Oregon and the way Oregon has recruited over the last couple of years. I don't want to see them once they get going again, I would love to see them early with, with a short spring at our place, traveling on the road. Maybe half of them have COVID for all we care. No, actually, no, no, no. I, I don't, I don't mean that now. We do. We do want to promote a healthy environment for for all student athletes, but I don't think there's a better time that we could get them. Yes, we've got a ton of question marks. We we're going to be awfully young, but I think if if you're going to have a chance to beat Oregon next year, earlier is going to be the better. Maybe we can get lightning in a bottle. Maybe whether it's Cam Rising or whether it's Jake Bentley, whoever whoever gets the nod, maybe they come out firing and and the offense uh, you know can maybe cover up a little bit of a slow start that we would expect from a young defense so I love it I don't I don't mind that we don't have to go to Laramie and get urine bombs thrown at the players (laughs) sheep don't cut through the power lines and cut out the lights like they did in
0: 2004 those of us that were home had to watch harry potter instead of the football game
2: (laughs) see you laramie hope we never see you again bye-bye and then montana state okay that's just that's just a drill game and and then obviously the byu game which is another drill game um not a big deal Devonte Henry Cole's already out at, at BYU so he he you he's really done. blame him? He's done with that schedule too. I'll tell you, Mr. Tom Homo, get in a get in the league. We've been telling you, you should have been listening to the podcast for years. Get in the league. COVID bitch in the butt. Let's go.
1: So it will be an interesting season if we have it and if it's in the fall. Really agree with what you guys are saying. We'd love to hear what you listeners think about you know, going to a, an all-Pac-12 conference. Uh, you can always hit us up on Twitter at UtahManPodcast. we got to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be talking with Brent Sencia from Picked 6 Previews. All right, join us on the phone now. I'm, I'm super excited about this. We've been trying to get this set up for a couple of weeks now, ever since the book dropped. Join us now, Brett Siancia from Pick Six Previews. Brett, how are you doing?
3: I'm doing great, guys. Yeah, thanks for having me back on. Um, you know, hunkered down from December till June, right in the 2020 season preview book. And then once it hits shelves, it's talking season. So it's been 50 shows in three weeks. Uh, but I remember last last off season, it all started here at the Utah Man Podcast. You guys had me on very early and uh, helped me launch this thing last year. So I thank you for that, and I uh, appreciate the work you guys are doing. Uh,
1: we're big fans. Uh, all all three of us we we bought the book last year. We bought it again this year. Uh, we we love it. I know when, as soon as it dropped, all three of us were online getting it. Uh, for those that aren't too familiar with the Pick Six previews, can you just kind of give a little intro and, and background? On exactly what this what this college football preview is?
3: Yeah, sure. And thanks again for for supporting Pick Six previews. Appreciate that. And the Utah base has been great getting to know uh, on Twitter uh, and in person. I was out at the the Washington versus Utah game this this fall. It was great. But um, so yeah, Pick Six previews. I launched in 2012 as a college football preview site, uh, similar to the ones you'd see on newsstands and online. Uh, but digital. And uh, over those first seven seasons, it was actually graded the most accurate Power 5 BCS predictor in the country, beating all those on newsstands. That's by that's a, not me saying it, that's Stassen.com who's been grading these publications for decades. So first seven years, most accurate grade. Uh, in 2019, last year, was my first comprehensive full book where I put together all 65 teams, uh, you know, 1,500 words per team, uh, tons of stack graphics, analytics, but really a Uh, a kind of a combination because i want to have the numbers there but i put it back into a very readable form because it's kind of boring to read about a utah's 0.125 x and y metric okay what's that really mean right let's talk uh so what i do is i like to have you know a ton of film study uh calls with coaches head coaches coordinators um and really show you the coaching schemes the program history um you know kind of a deeper dive than what you see on newsstands and here we are 2020 um, after my first book in 19, I was selected to become a Heisman Trophy voter, um, based out of Pennsylvania here. Uh, but yeah, so here we are the second year. And for those interested too, I did add BYU this year. That was a, a point of contention on Twitter. Uh, as you can imagine <laughs> from your, uh, from your rivals down there in Provo, uh, they were upset. They weren't in the book last year, but, uh, Hey, they certainly deserve a spot. They're, they're very close to power five credential if, if you could. So they're in there this year. I've been on a bunch well... of BYU shows as well. <laughs> Well, ten in a row for Utah, or nine in a row, whatever. it is <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll just start there with that. But now, um,
0: ten yeah, so was coming that. until this COVID thing happened.
3: I know, but uh, no, I appreciate you guys having me on and ready to talk some uh, some twenty twenty.
2: So, so before we jump into twenty twenty, obviously last year you had uh, you had Utah picked uh, preseason to go to the college football playoff. Regionally, obviously, last year there was a lot of pub going into into the season regionally for Utah. But really, outside of that, you may have been real, one of the few guys nationally that had Utah pegged to have that type of year. Kind of what? How did you come about picking Utah and having having the guts to put them in the in your final four?
3: Yeah, so it all starts with this. I mean, I'm based on the East Coast, and uh, a lot of the people out here call it laziness or just say, you know the time of day. A lot of people out here don't watch the Pac-12, but I'm one of those guys where I have my four screens set up from noon Eastern all the way till three a Eastern, watching your Pac-12 network nightcap. So, anyways, I've kept a close eye on Utah and the Pac-12 for a while now, um, and I started to see this thing building over in 2017 and 2018, where you know the defense was always there, but there were so many close games. That Utah would grind out, but then barely lose, and some fluky losses there. Where I end up walking away from it, thinking, "Hey, Utah's a better team than their record showing." Uh, when I designed my great, my game grader formula too, that factors in scoring differential, yardage differential, a lot of per play metrics uh, to give you a better feel than the the final score. Because sometimes you got to dig deeper than you know what you see on the ticker. So, long story short, uh, in 2018 October, if you go back that far. Utah was playing playoff caliber football. If you remember that, it it was incredible. The offense was finally waking up. Um, You know, you saw Huntley starting to to turn into his final form, but then the injury struck, and you know it it ended up that would have been a team that could have gone to the Rose Bowl uh, very well in 2018. And you know, some of the other national publications might have just glanced right at the record um, and not really dug in to say, "Hey, in November they were doing that with Jason Shelley at backup. Uh, They were doing that with a banged up running back stable." So. Um, yeah, so I saw in the 19, I saw that entire defense coming back, which I had graded top five, the number one defensive line I had graded as. So I knew the defense was elite. Offense, you bring back Huntley healthy, you bring back Moss healthy, uh, a, re- a receiver core that's improving. We'll talk about that later in the show. And then I love the coordinator hire too, bringing Andy Ludwig back. So that was the logic heading in. Um, you know, I think preseason nationally, they were about 15th or 17th. So to put them fourth and in the playoff, that was a bit of a, a roulette ship, if you will. It took a you know big risk, big reward. Um, got a ton of feedback, we'll call it feedback on Twitter, <laughs> negatively uh, across the country. <laughs> but uh, so in a way, kind of you know, I hunkered down even more with Utah. I defended them on you know all my radio shows, all my podcasts, and throughout the season on Twitter. You guys see it, and uh, yeah, so we were right there together all the way to that last Friday night, and uh, it was a heck of a run. A uh, ton of respect for the Utah program. Uh, the Utah fan base as well. Like I said, it's a very passionate, a knowledgeable base. So, you know, and uh, not to go off topic, but, but you, know, you see it on the on the coasts uh, and, and the pro cities. The passion really isn't there. It's for the pro sports. But finding these, you know, little diamonds in the rough like Utah, I mean, the passion is right there. And what I, what I love about it is you guys match my passion. I mean, it's like you guys are right on every little thing. It, it could be February. It could be April. Right on it. So I uh, appreciate that. And it was a heck of a run together last year.
0: You talked a little bit about uh, how Utah develops uh, talent, and you know, we're competing year in and year out against USC, UCLA, Oregon, Washington, who you know regularly get four and five star recruits. How and you've got Utah ranked number one in developing talent. How, can you talk about how you came up with that? What goes into that formula? Yeah, for
3: sure. So you see every uh, every year on Signing Day, the recruiting rankings come out, and uh, you know, some publications value that value that more than others. Um, So here's my take on it. I think with recruiting, you know, can the services miss on a guy, a recruit here and there? Yes, of course, that happens all the time. Uh, But when you're talking 20 or 25 in a class, and then when you're talking stacking three and four and five classes in a row, 85 scholarship athletes there, I think they're more right than wrong in aggregate. But the difference between me and other publications is they cut it right there. That's, you know, that's the only number that matters to them. But to me, you got to take that a step forward. You got to have coaching schemes, uh, you know, installed. You got to have good schemes that work. Uh, you know, all those buzzwords, culture, hard work fit. Um, but I wanted a way to put a number on that. So I call it, I have two metrics, player development and win conversion. And what that does is it takes that five-year recruiting average that you see on signing day and, you know, on all the recruiting sites, but then compares it to, Hey, how are they developing the talent into NFL draft picks? You know, what's happening those three, four, five years on campus, you got to see the output. So in terms of that player development, uh, yeah, Utah is number one nationally. And that, what that means is, you know, they recruit around that 30th to 40th range recently, but they're, they just, uh, you know, they just led the pack 12 in track picks. So, um, so that kind of correlation between signing day stats and, um, and your NFL draft output, that's player development. And that shouldn't be a shock to you guys. You guys see it. I mean, it's a very trusted system with, with Morgan Scalley and Winningham and the whole bunch. They get, they, they have a very targeted type of player that they find. Um. You know, personality wise, uh, body size, everything. They know exactly who they're looking for. They bring them in. Everyone buys into the system. uh, And it just turns out just tough units every year, tough defenses every year. So um, you're looking at a program that's kind of mastered its formula. Uh, You see it at Iowa, Wisconsin. These are other programs at the top of this metric. Um, And at the very flip end of it, you know, the, the ones that are poor in player development are the USCs, the UCLAs, especially, who, yeah, they're top 10, top 20 recruiters. But they're they're not doing anything with that raw talent. So, um, so yeah, a testament again. They were number Utah was number one last year in this cycle, uh, in last year's cycle in this metric, and number one again. Um, and yeah, this thing is going to continue to roll. So, and and now you're starting to see the recruiting even spike up. So who knows what what this staff could do with say a top twenty five class or a top twenty. So it's all trending in the right direction.
1: And so, Brett, you know, a couple of minutes ago you talked about how you know you jumped on this Utah train for the playoff because of players like Huntley and Moss uh, that were coming back obviously they've graduated this this offseason two big keys that they're they're going to be missing who has caught your eye from the Utah's offense this season
3: yeah so i i never thought i'd be saying this on a utah podcast or show but it looks like the strength of the offense might have actually flipped back to the outside skill positions the receivers tight ends group um, you know, out time. Oh, yeah, right. It's <laughs> over the years. I remember thinking, man, if, if Utah could just get one feature receiver or, you know, if they could get some consistency catching the ball, those kind of things were, uh, constantly coming up with Utah. But, but now, I mean, you have a, a, a core of guys here, uh, and multi-talented too. I mean, you have Britton Covey, uh, the guy's a warrior. I mean, I, I see him get, you know, he takes a lot of hits, but he keeps getting up. He's kind of the, the emotional leader there and very, very reliable, I'd say. Um, you know, then you have Jalen Dixon, a guy I think is ready to break out. He's elusive in open field, uh, and you know, a guy like Ludwig, very creative, getting the ball around. You know, Brian Thompson back, so there's firepower there uh, for the top five. And kind of the ace that I haven't touched on here yet is uh, Brant Keith, who uh, he actually uh, he earned fourth team All American honors. Pick uh, six previews my book. Um, so, and what that goes into that too is not just the receiving. I mean, you're talking 650 yards receiving six touchdowns receiving, but I don't think I've ever seen a tight end with three rushing touchdowns in a season. I mean, it's incredible the way, the, the you know, and that was all towards the end of end of the season too. So I'm looking forward to that continuing and, and you know, and seeing Ludwig use him in more ways. And kind of a testament to Ludwig overall as a play caller and play designer because these, these plays were pretty creative and, you know, got his players into the open field. So what gets me excited about Utah's offense this year is, yeah, it's the receiver core. Uh, it's an offensive line that should theoretically take a step forward. Uh, it was a bunch that was—they were above average. They were above average all year. It's just the when they were faced against some blue chip uh, defensive lines, it, it was it, it flipped over to a liability. He saw it only three times: USC, Oregon, and Texas. But those are the three best recruiting rosters they face. So I think that takes a slight step forward. And in years past, when you lose a starting quarterback, it kind of sets you back a year or two. But uh, now you're you're talking multiple uh, four-star kids coming in at quarterback. One multi-year starter, Jake Bentley, uh, Cameron Rising from Texas. I wrote in the book, and this was published mid-June. I thought that Rising had a slight lead uh, to take over at quarterback, seeing that he ran a lot of the scout team last year, uh, was familiar with Ludwig and his play calling. But but hey, it, it's an it, it's a good problem to have. I think both guys very talented and high ceiling. So. That's where I stand with the offense. I think it'll be, yes, a transition, but there's a lot of firepower there to play with.
2: But I mean, you speak about the recruiting aspect of things. Obviously, Utah, since joining the Pac-12, they've really been on a steady climb in the recruiting rankings year over year, improving that talent, that overall talent, but also the depth just within the program itself. So when guys graduate, there's guys that are that are talented and ready to step in, and and hopefully there's not that big gap that you know maybe we had when we were a Mountain West Conference team. Where does Utah? Because we kind of saw it last year you know, and you just mentioned this against Texas, against uh, USC and against um, Oregon, our offensive line struggled and we, when we saw other struggles as well, where does Utah need to get in the recruiting rankings year over year so that they're, they're kind of fitting in and being talked about along with the USC and Oregon and, and being able to compete year over year for a Pac-12 title?
3: Yeah. So I, I love talking my player development, my win conversion, all those metrics, right. And we talked about Iowa, Wisconsin, Utah, but there is kind of a cap with that. Now that's the formula definitely to get you to a consistent eight, nine, 10 win seasons year over year. But I think what we, what we all saw in the national stage there against Oregon was, um, you know, there is a, an upper tier of just freak elite athletes that, that you know, it's hard to, 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 to surpass them. Um, I mean the, the play that if you want to boil it down to one play, it was Kayvon Thibodeau. This is the number one, number one recruit in the entire country comes in as a true freshman and is making impact plays. He blocked that punt. It was just kind of an emotional change in the game. Uh, but, but long story short, that's, you know, that's a five-star kid, um, that unlocks a different tier to the program. So I think Utah has mastered what they can at this, at this recruiting capacity. I think, you know, uh, to be pumping out nine, ten wins every year, division titles back to back, conference titles, uh, very close with, uh, it's been great. But I think to now unlock, you know, eleven, twelve, thirteen, start pushing playoff. I think you got to, you know, imp- improve that recruiting pipeline a bit. Now it's definitely trending the right way. Uh, signing Clark Phillips was huge. I think that was the highest Utah recruit ever, an uh, Ohio State commit. You flip him; he was a top forty kid. So yeah, when you look at it over a 5-year span, Utah's 7th in the Pac-12, so middle middle of the pack. Um seeing what this staff can do with with say 7th talent, imagine what they could do with thir- like second or third talent. So to get up there, you're talking start stacking top 15 classes, top 20 classes. And I don't know if that's even feasible here. I don't know. It, we'll, we'll see. But um you know I, I don't want to be a negative. I think that they've built a great thing and uh but but you see with these other playoff programs and dynasty you want to start comparing to the to that level of play. Uh you want to start breaking in top twenty, top fifteen classes.
0: Switch for a second, and talk about defense. So, you know, as as you know and all of us who have kind of grown up and watched this program year after year, know that Kyle Whittingham uh really builds his teams around the defense. So last year who lost, eight, we're losing essentially eight starters to the NFL or graduation. Um, where do you see the defense, do you see the defense declining? And maybe talk about who you can see the, that can step up into some of those roles this year.
3: Yeah, um, it's interesting here. So the defense does take a hit, um, especially in the secondary. You're talking about the, uh, all four guys in the secondary gone, and the fifth guy who would have been your, your star back there, R.J. Hubert, towards ACL in that Oregon game, and I think could miss part or all of 2020. So, uh, top five are gone. It's extreme youth back there, and uh, I actually had a chance to talk with Morgan Scally this preseason uh, as one of my coordinator calls, and uh, this is back in back in February. And he was talking about hey, or no, this was sorry, this was March because we were already into the the virus shutdowns. And he was saying if there was ever a team in his history that he would have liked to have a spring ball with, it was this defense. I mean, and that's not a knock on them; it's just the youth. I mean, this is where you want to see those incoming you know, early enrollees or those rising redshirt freshmen, those new starters, eight new starters, you want to really have those 15 practices to, to develop as a unit. Um, so that was back in March, you lose the 15 spring ball practices, uh, fast forward, you miss the summer now. So you're coming in pretty raw here and maybe a shortened fall camp, uh, you know, with extreme youth. So, you know, usually they have my, you know, my seal of approval where there's, there's not going to be a, a decline, but, uh, there's a couple of things to play. This was probably Utah's best defense ever last year. So you have that coupled with losing the eight starters and no spring ball and no off season. So it's going to be tough. Um, now if we're talking November, December, I think at the end of the year, this could evolve into a great unit, but, uh, it's going to be super young to start out without a spring ball. Um, you know, I think Devin Lloyd is probably the the star player in the middle there linebacker. Uh, you get some guys with some key experience back, Mika Tafua, uh, Max Depayi, um, not i'm not sure their status i remember there were some questions but uh theoretically that would be three guys that were former you know starters or or key in the rotation guys so you build around that in the front seven um i remember writing it last year that i I think i said Utah could go 10 deep defensive line wise so even if they are quote unquote starters coming back you, you have experience you have some very strong players there um and one last bit on utah's defense uh in general so this year to the book i added a new metric um uh, opponent average, uh, coordinator grades. So, uh, uh, opponent adjust, adjusted grades. Now, all uh, right, that sounds like a word salad, but basically adjusting your performance to the opponents you played and on a per play metric. So long story short, last decade, utah's 15th in that uh, on defense, you know, top 15 in the nation, 50th offensively out of 65. So, uh, you know, the defense, it's been defense first for a while. You guys know this watching it. Uh, but finally you want to start seeing that offense catch up and they are. So. Um, but yeah, so anyway, I think maybe a slight step back, it's going to be a step back. It's so young, but, um, you know, this, this staff of all staffs does have a, uh, a seal of approval.
1: All right. So we're up again. So we got to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll have more with Brett Ciencia from pick six previews. And we're talking with Brent Ciencia from pick six previews. Now, Brett you brought up the kind of the matrix that you have in, in your book. And that's the one thing I, I love it doesn't seem like any other book out there does this, doesn't go into as much detail as yours does. You know, we're talking about Morgan Scali. I want to take it to the opposite side of the ball with offensive coordinator with Andy Ludwig. A lot of Utah fans weren't very excited about the hire just because Ludwig was here before. But obviously with your scales, it looks like the offense improved over this past season. Or how do you feel the hire has gone so far bringing Ludwig back to Utah?
3: First off, thanks, Cameron, for that praise. I appreciate that. The uh, yeah, the 10-year the coordinator grades were something new this year. I wanted to dig in because I have the game grader, which is an overall team score. But, you know, you want to break it down offense, defense, and get to see uh, where these guys' these coordinators came from. It was a cool exercise, too, going back 10 years every program because you started to see the familiar names. And uh, when I was looking at Vanderbilt, you see in 2018 with Andy, with Andy Ludwig, uh, you know, an upper action, above average offense there. Very high for Vandy's standards. And then you see it absolutely crater to the worst in the country last year, Vanderbilt, without him. So my thing on coordinators, you can learn a lot about his one year impact on campus. Obviously, you saw Utah improve to one of the best ever. But you can also learn a lot about where the guy left. And they, you know, they brought back all their star players last year down in Vandy and they tanked without him. So I think the double edged sword there by, you know, in his absence of Vandy, they collapsed. And here at Utah, he got him to uh, somewhat of new heights offensively. Got, you know, a lot of stable offense. Uh, what struck out to what stuck out to me when I was watching Utah live in Seattle was kind of the play design uh, and kind of the third down play calling. Uh, I remember that, you know, cause you remember Washington had a lead in that game, but uh Huntley kept this cool. I remember a, a mastermind drive to end the first half. And uh, there was a couple of third downs in there, but you start to see these wide open receivers. And uh, I know that that's, you know, the athletes themselves, but also some play design, something's working there. So, I mean, I'd have to give it an A and I'm not just saying that cause I'm on a Utah show, but I mean, when you look back, I already mentioned it, they were 50th over the last decade in offense out of 65. So to bring in an, an above-average unit and a changeover year coordinator-wise, I think it was an A.
2: So looking at uh, preseason standings you've got for the South, obviously you've got USC as winning the South, Utah number two, Arizona State number three. Those are probably, you know, looking at Colorado, UCLA, Arizona, um, you know, I don't it's really going to come down to to those top three programs. Where where do you put? Obviously, USC's kind of revitalized themselves a little bit, at least in recruiting, um, based over last year. Um, where, where do you kind of see um, USC going this year? And obviously, Oregon is just they've kind of gone into a completely different stratosphere with what they're doing recruiting right now. But uh, what 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 puts USC over the top to win the South this year for you?
3: Yeah, so it's really the offense. Um, again, another coordinator call I got to have this uh, this preseason was with Graham Harrell, USC's offensive coordinator. And uh, you, know, you might remember the name. He was the Texas Tech quarterback for Mike Leach running that air raid attack. And, um, you know, so Clay Helton brought him into USC, a program once known as Tailback U. And basically overnight, he, he evolved them from, you know, an I formation power run team into, uh, you know, a four or five wide air raid attack. And he did it with a third stringer, Keaton Slovis, true freshman. So. Uh, That entire receiver core is back, except for Michael Pittman. But, I mean, they can go six deep at receiver. And these are blue-chip five-star guys, future high NFL draft picks. And uh, Actually, I mean, uh, it's a shame, but part of their best performance as a core was against that Utah secondary uh, down in L.A. last year. Uh, Just remember, a lot of those one-on-one jump balls were all going USC's way. uh, And all that is pretty much back. So, love their offense. Um, And the real question with USC is going to be defensively. Um, and to take it a step back on a program level. I mean, they put Clay Helton on the hot seat for what, 18 months. Um, you got to give him credit for the coordinator hire there with Harrell. I mean, part of the job as a head coach, you know, it's recruiting, it's in game strategy, it's everything, but coordinator hire is huge. So he aced that one. Let's see for 2020 if he aces on defense, because that's what it really comes down to. Uh, bringing in Todd Orlando. He was hot and cold at Texas. Some good, some good defenses, a pretty bad one last year. Bad fundamentals, bad missed tackles, a ton down in Texas last year. So, um, that's the wild card because talking USC, we just talk player development every year. They have on paper, they have those five stars everywhere. It's just a matter of if a coach or, or coordinator can come in and really maximize that talent. We haven't seen it in a while. So uh, offensively. Yeah. Best in the division, best in the conference. I could argue um, it's going to be connect defense carry. Them? I think it's good enough to get it done in the, in the, uh, in the South division with some change over Utah.
0: Hey Brett, let's change gears here for just a sec. So with this, uh, with this, pandemic that we're all experiencing with kind of an unknown with football here how it's going to play out we've got the big 10 and the pac 12 who kind of uh, at least announced that they're going to do conference games only uh what are your thoughts on that and do you see other conferences following
3: yeah so i was kind of shocked to see the big 10 make the first move uh, i was actually thinking this might be a, a chance for the all the power five conferences to kind of align and get together you know meeting of the minds and and get something together uh, make it so that there's uniform testing and make it so that, you know, all the power five conferences could still uh, interplay together. But anyway, they acted first to kind of force the hand of other leagues. Uh, Pac-12 was quick to follow. Uh, in that you lose out on some huge matchups, I mean, Ohio State, Oregon, uh, Washington, Michigan, um, you know, but so, so looking forward though, I think the SEC, and I've heard Greg Sankey uh, their commissioner talk about this, that he's going to wait until the very last minute. Uh, to make a decision on. And, you know, it, it's funny at first when you think about it. But actually, I kind of agree. I, I think that you want to wait as long as you can. Let's uh, let's take in as much data as we can. You guys see this, and we all see it. The data and the information on this uh, pandemic, it changes day to day. It evolves. Um, no one's been through this, obviously, before in, in any role, especially commissioner of the league. So I would say, yeah, take as much info as you can. Get the most informed decision for safety, for feasibility, for everything. So SEC is going to wait as long as they can. Um, who else we got? The ACC will probably just copy the SEC, to be honest, and uh, the Big Twelve. I don't know what to think of them, but um, the Pac-12 is kind of forced the hand of uh, you know. I wonder if the Mountain West will then follow. Um, I was on some BYU shows, and they were starting to you know to freak out about all their games getting canceled and how that would play. It's it's tough when you're independent. And same same with Notre Dame. Um, but yeah, I guess my take on this is, I mean, I see a lot of the national guys come on to twitter and be all super negative all week and you know looking only at maybe one half of the stats and uh really talking down to their audiences it's really bizarre to me because you know what we're not pandemic experts and even the experts it's uh, it's a new thing for them so <laughs> let's uh take it day by day keep it positive if there's a way feasibility wise and safety wise to get it done uh for the coaches the players the admin you know um, I think we got to do everything we can. We owe it to the student athletes. They, they devote so much time into this, uh, but not just the athletes, the financial side, it, it kind of, you know, floats the boat for the whole school's athletic department, a lot of jobs there. Uh, but then even a step further, all these small town, uh, campus towns, I mean, they really, their economies ride on these seven Saturdays every fall. And, uh, you know, you don't see it in Seattle or, you know, some of the bigger cities, but a lot of these small ones, man, it's everything. So, uh, we got to just, uh, use as much data and make, uh, make a nice decision. But uh, we'll see. I, re- I remain an optimist you know, day to day. So we'll have to wait and see though.
1: Brett, thank you so much for, for jumping on. I know how busy you are. You're on shows all over the country. and uh, Even here in the state of Utah, I think you've hit every single media outlet here and, and you're doing it in every state across the country. Uh, but can you just let our listeners know, you know where they can find you on social media? And more importantly, where can they get your Pick 6 previews book?
3: Yeah, guys, thanks again for having me back on. I really appreciate it. And I uh, also want to thank you for what you guys put out, too. Um, I you know, appreciate your work. You know, what goes into this is I'm listening into a ton of local radio and podcast shows across the country, uh, each team. I want to dig into the details, and that's during the season, too. And I remember listening in uh, throughout the season, the Utah Man podcast. The one that really stuck out was uh heading up to the Pac-12 title game. I tune in. I'm driving home, and then uh, I hear this love song on in the background, and it's uh, – like a love song for Tyler Huntley. It was, it was just perfect. I mean, I was cracking up. You guys have a great time with it, but also just bring all the information that you could ever ask for. So um, excellent work. Keep it up. As for me, with, you can follow me at Pick6Previews on Twitter. And then uh, online, it's pick 6 That's all spelled out. And on the webpage there, I have a couple sample teams. because I know it's a newer product, but a couple sample teams, you can see the level of detail I go into for every team, the set of uh, infographics and stats I provide. Uh, A couple testimonials in there, too. I just got one back from Chris Felica, the bear. Uh, Big, big praise there. I was excited. Um, And lastly, too, to get back to the Utah base. I mean, it's been a a great ride with you guys. Uh, If you want to type in Utes at checkout, U-T-E-S, get a nice discount code for giving me a shot. So uh, thanks again. It's been great. Let's stay in touch on Twitter, and, uh, and I'll come back anytime.
1: Awesome. Brett, hey, thank you so much, buddy. Have a great night.
3: All right, you too, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Brett. Appreciate it.
1: So we do got to run to a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll recap our interview with Brent Ciencia from Pick 6 Previews. A big thank you to Brett for, for jumping on. Again, I know how busy he is. He's got so many interviews right now with so many different media outlets. And for him uh, to, to jump back on with us again, uh, just a big thank you. And, and you fans, go check out his book, Pick6Previews.com. Honestly, I'm not going to buy any other Season preview books. This season, this is the only one that you need, and use that promo code that he gave you. Um, and I promise you, won't, you won't be disappointed in it. Overall, a lot of great information, and I I really like his take on the Utes. I I feel he's kind of high on the Utes coming into this in this next season.
2: Yeah, I mean it's it's good to get that perspective. Obviously, you know we're we're around the program. We're homers. Let's let's call it like it is. You know, we're always gonna see the glass half full when it comes to the use, but to see see an outsider from across the country who covers college football across the board and all all these different conferences and programs. And with all that Utah has lost from last year, yes, there's question marks, and yes, there's gonna be some there could be some rough patches and some rough games along the way, but it's encouraging that that Brett, along with, with all of us, are pretty optimistic of where this team is. And I think it just goes to prove with what Kyle and this staff have done in the recruiting trail over the last five-plus years to build up this depth, to bring in just a, a higher-caliber athlete um, and just better overall football players, you're going to see a lot of guys jump in. and And I don't think across the board we're going to see that big of a drop-off. I really don't. Yes, there's going to be some blunders here and there, but you, heck, we got those with upperclassmen. So overall, with what this coaching staff has done and the fact that we still have the same coaching staff, we've got some continuity, you know, I'm pretty optimistic, especially with, uh, with an all-pack 12 slate. I think it could be a fun one if it happens
0: you know and i think we've talked about it for over the years several times and how uh, whittingham and his staff continue to amaze us in in their development of the players but again like it's like scott said we're we're homers we're around the program i think that's what we we want to believe and, and and we do see it obviously but it's it's great to hear it from somebody who lives across the country who doesn't have the same exposure to the program that we do. I mean, he's got he's got the Utes or the coaching staff uh, ranked number one out of all the college football teams in the country in player development, and I just think um, that bodes well for the direction the program is headed. If they can continue to increase the caliber of player they get, they they can only go up from there.
1: Well, and I think that's one thing Brett does a very good job on in his book is he talks about how Utah's uh, recruiting ranking has improved uh, since a decade ago when they were in the Mountain West, and, and not only is that improving, but what to your point, Ryan, is that they're taking this talent, they're developing it at a much higher rate than any other team in the country. I mean, that's really Utah's success, and I know we mm-hmm. harp a lot about about Winningham and and Scally and the way they, they handle their business and the way they run this program. Uh, but I echo your thoughts. It, it is nice to kind of get an outsider's point of view.
2: Well, one thing that he said that stood out to me was the fact that um, at some point, right, obviously they're number one in player development, huge, but, you know, he talked about, obviously, against the Texas, the Oregon, or even the USC, against those top-tier teams that have incredible talent, to really match them or even overtake them, we have got to, we've got to continue. We've got to get to a higher spot in our recruiting rankings year over year. He said top 20, top 15, which we haven't been able to do. Question is, can Utah and Whittingham do that? Can they get to top 15 or even top 20 over a two-, three-, four-year span in a row to accrue that talent that can compete year in and year out? Not just to win the South because, granted, that's huge and that's big for the program, but we've done it two years in a row. And then, and, and then we've, fa- we've fallen flat in the Pac-12 title game and have not won the Pac-12 because of that, have not made it to a Rose Bowl or, or the playoff. Can can this staff, as is, get to top 15, top 20 year-over-year recruiting?
0: That's an interesting question. I don't know if either of you saw the interview earlier in the week that I think it was KSL did with Urban Meyer um, and how he talked about the ability Utah has to recruit players. And he, he basically said Utah has every advantage except one, which is – Utah high school football talent uh they have good players but there's not enough of those good players and he thinks that's what's holding Utah back from really getting top-notch caliber kids because they have to really go outside the state you know as we've seen California Texas Florida to to find some of those kids uh so I don't know I mean that could be a possibility that maybe there's maybe they've hit a ceiling in some respect
1: I kind of think they have hit a ceiling. I mean, yeah, they're probably going to have years where they can, you know, kind of be in in the upper, you know, top three in in the league, maybe. Um, but when you're going against schools like Oregon, USC, hey, even UCLA when they have their stuff together, it's hard to recruit against those schools, and especially when you got to go against schools that are in Southern California, that are in Arizona, that have great weather year round. It's hard.
2: Well, I mean, but you you look at Oregon. I mean, Eugene is Eugene's not a a recruiting paradise, and you look what they're doing. They're pulling the top kids from all over the country.
0: Well, because and they also they have, have Nike, Nike in their yeah, backyard. They got Nike, oh for money. sure. Yeah,
2: and and obviously we're we're never going to have that Nike money, and and we're not playing on the same set of uh, rules, you could say, as as Oregon.
0: We have mountain jerseys. Come on.
2: Well, we may not much longer, but. <laughs> Unless Under Armour, you know, Under Armour is going to come out with some weird shape to put on the uniform somewhere. Um, but my, my point is obviously, yes, Utah, Utah High School does not have the depth to produce a ton of D1 talent. But as long as we can continue to pull in the top, some of the top talent locally and supplement that, like they've been doing California, Texas, Florida, and bring in those still top tier athletes, I think, you know, I, I think we can get there. I don't know. I, I do, I do think that I love this staff. I think they are so good, but I do think if we could find a few more Sharif Shah's Kyle McDonald, who are just killing it and recruiting recruiting is the name of the game. Kyle talks about that all the time. So you, you, maybe, a f- maybe a few more pieces to help get it, to win some of these recruiting battles could get us to that point. But yeah, we're never going to be able to recruit, I don't think, like a USC or even Oregon's proved that they've been able to do.
0: Well, it wouldn't hurt if you could break through and win a conference championship, too. That'll that that uh, that'll bring some kids to play with you.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Or just not crap the bed in it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's the biggest thing, is they got to win on the big stage. Well, what you yep. said, Scott utahs they've made it to the Pac-12 championship game two years in a row now. Fans don't want that anymore. Fans want the next thing, right? It was always we just wanted to win the South. We wanted to win the South. Utah did it. Now it's they have to win the league now. That's their next hurdle they got to get to. We want to play in the Rose Bowl. And, you know, everything that, that Brett has broken down in his book it tends that way for Utah. While you're looking at the past 10 years and you look at the offensive coordinating and defensive coordinators' rankings, you'll see there's a trend. It's going up. You see the the recruiting trends. It's going up. Now it's it's really up to Winningham and staff to get this team up to the next level. Can they do it with the type of recruits they bring in? I, I don't know. But at least it, it, we got a guy like Kyle Winningham leading this program because I think he really is the key to get, to get Utah to where fans want to go. So before we wrap this episode up, you know, there's been a lot of talk about what the season will look like. We, we do know it's going to be conference only, but I, I'm curious. We haven't really talked about it between the three of us. What do you guys see as far as are there fans there? Are we playing in, in the fall? Obviously everything's speculating right now, but where do you guys see this, this season right
0: now? And it is so tough to see because everything changes from day to day with this virus, and then I mean, from state to state, it's completely different. I mean, California is so much worse off than we are, and uh, but we're not in a great place. And I just don't know. I obviously, I think it's going to come down to the health department and the governor, and and what uh, what is allowed in gatherings. Um, I. If any fans are allowed, it's, I think it's going to be very few, which is going to be a weird environment. And then, and then, ha- from a university standpoint, how do you choose which season ticket holders get to come which weeks? And very, then, very simple.
2: How big is your Crimson Club donation?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so those of us who sit in the north end zone who just donate the the bare minimum fifty dollars, do we just get our seat? our money towards put towards next year and we watch at home.
2: Yeah, I, for for that donation, I don't even think they're gonna send you a corn dog.
1: <laughs> <laughs> if it if it's reduced crowds, I don't even know it might be more fun to swatch it at home, honestly, because the I don't think the environment is gonna be there if it's not full, if it's not rocking. Um no, the
2: the the, the, Listen, envir- the, environment will not, the environment will not be it will. It will. It won't be anywhere close to what we're expecting. You're going to maybe have what fifteen, twenty thousand people, probably, um, if that allowed in the stadium, and and everyone's going to be in masks. And there's going to, it's, There's not going to be that loud noise. There's just not going to be that buzz. But at the end of the day, even though it's not going to be what we're used to, we need it. We need college football. I can't. I can't. I keep thinking of what fall will be like with no football.
0: Uh you're right, we do need college football. Um you know, and I obviously that's kind of a selfish outlook, but I think from the psyche of just the community and the public in general, we need something to kind of break this mundane kind of lifestyle we've become accustomed to the last 4 months and it'd be great if we could get out and and experience in football but at the same time you've got to make sure that the you know the players they're the ones that are going to be down there breathing and sweating on each other so you got to make sure that that's a safe environment as well not just not just for the fans
2: yeah yeah the the safety obviously for for these guys is is going to be most important you know these these coaches have families at home all of these players have families um you know they don't want to be taking things home so if it can be done in a safe way and and uh, you know i sure hope they can figure out a way to do it because we need we need football and i think it'll just to be able to to watch our teams compete and have some normalcy again i think will be will be huge
0: yeah i don't know how you could do it on every campus it, it almost seems impossible but I mean, the NBA so far has seemed to have succeeded in creating that bubble that the players live in, and they haven't had a positive case in 340-some-odd tests they've taken. Uh, so the, the environment that they've created seems to be working. I just don't know if you can create something like that with college football teams. Yeah,
2: yeah I'm not so sure you can. The, the NBA is spending over $150 million to pull this off. And, and these athletic departments, especially with decreased revenue from football itself, they don't they're not going to have the means to be able to provide uh, a uh, scenario or an environment like that. I don't I don't think. And I don't know. I don't have the answers. I'm not sure if anybody's got the answers, but it, it but I, I've got a lot of confidence. It seems like Mark Harlan and his staff, they're doing a lot of things. And they're doing a lot of listening. They're doing a lot of studying to figure out, um, you know, what's, what's an option and, and what can be done to, to have football this year. And uh, how, however we can have it, whether it's minimal fans, no fans, you know, let's, let's just let's, let's let the pigskin fly and let's kick some bacon around, huh? I'm game.
1: All right, so that will do it on this episode. Ryan, where can people find you on Twitter?
0: At Drum and Feather. Drum, the letter N, Feather. And Scott? Yeah, UMan man underscore forever.
1: You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Utah man Podcast. Go to our home, utahmanpodcast.com. And be sure to subscribe, rate, review. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Anywhere you listen to a podcast, we are there. Go Utes.
2: Go Utes. Go Utes. We'll be till I die. Kay-ay.
1: We're good. Let's cut it. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are their own and are no way affiliated with the University of Utah.